Well, once again, uh, welcome to Big Valley Grace. Welcome over in the venue. Um, really grateful for Pastor Joel, who shepherds that group over there. Pastor, um, um, uh, who, who's leading worship over there today? Jared, Jared, Jared's over there. Yeah. The nice thing about the, the crowd over here is they get it. They understand what happens as you get older. You young guys over there in the venue don't, don't get it. Um, <laughs> but you will. Uh, unbelievable. I'm glad you're here. And, and, and those of you, once again, watching online, we're, we're just really grateful that you're with us. Uh, before I um, uh, get into our, our message uh, today, I want to just kind of walk you through the Holy Week. Next weekend uh, is Palm Weekend, and I've got a special message that I think you'll really enjoy. Um, invite friends and come, and, and we'll have a great time worshiping the Lord together next weekend. Then on Wednesday, we're going to do something we haven't done around this place in a long time. We're calling it the Upper Room, and we are going to recreate what took place in the Upper Room. We're going to have a foot washing service in here. We'll have a section for guys, a section for gals, and a section for couples or families. And uh, we'll have communion in here together. We'll do some singing. And I know a lot of you have never been to a foot washing um, gathering. And it sounds a little bit weird. And some of you are going, ew. <laughs> and then once you read the scriptures and you see that the one in whom you follow did it, it kind of changes things. And uh, everybody, will, you'll, you'll pair up, guys, you know, gals, everybody will wash someone's feet. And uh, we'll demonstrate it for you up here on the platform. You'll see the whole thing only takes just but, a, but a, really a few minutes. But it's really significant. We want you to, to, to be here. That's Wednesday night from 6.30 till 8. And then we'll have communion. And then uh, Friday is Good Friday, and we have two gatherings, one at noon and one at seven, and we're gonna set this room up way different. The cross will be in the center of the room, and we'll have chairs that'll go all the way uh, around it. And uh, it's really, really different. If you've never been to one of our Good Friday services, they're, they're, nobody else does it like we're, we're gonna do it. It's not a preaching service. It's just a, a gathering where we come. There's the cross. We hear all these great scriptures being read, we have communion together, and it's about 50 minutes long, and that's at noon and at seven. And then we have the weekend, the, the big celebration, where we, um, you know, hip hip hooray, the, the, the greatest moment in history when Jesus Christ walked out of the grave, and we have a four o'clock on Saturday, a six o'clock on Saturday, a 9 a.m., an 11 a.m., and then we have a 6.30 sunrise service out under the cross that Pastor John Byron leads. Our Spanish-speaking ministry will have a, a gathering. And, and that's the one where, you, man, we've been praying like crazy for your friends. You've been praying for your friends. And I want you to reach inside your program and pull out those two little tickets. They look like this, okay? Because we're now at that moment where we want you to go and invite your friend, your neighbor, the guy that mows your lawn, the guy that you know, cuts your hair, does your toes, uh, the person you play golf with, tennis with, those people out there that God has put in your path that we've been praying for. There's over 5,000 names on that wall out there. Then here's your moment to take this and say, man, I sure would love for you to come to church with me this Easter. And you'll notice on the backside, it says, I've been praying for you. 
And we don't want anybody in here to be a liar. Hopefully you've been praying for your friends. Christian, it's the greatest thing we can do is pray for our friends. And you're gonna to wanna to invite them. We have some posters. If you own a business and you'd like to put a poster, you know, a really nice poster, it looks like this, and your window or uh, whatever, you can pick those up at our ministry wall out there. You'll see an Easter celebration uh, area and you can pick one of those things up. If you want more tickets, Obviously, you go toward the ministry wall and go to the Easter celebration area, and you can pick up as many of these, these kind of tickets as, as you want, okay? And it's coming up real quick, and I, I'm really, really excited about it. Without raising your hands or shouting amen or whatever, I, I want you to think, how, how many of you right now are in need of some sort of miracle in your life? Maybe you need a, a miracle in your business right now. Maybe you need a miracle in your, in your finances right now. Maybe you need a, a, a miracle in your health right now. You got that proverbial lump where there's not supposed to be one. Maybe you need a miracle in your family. Maybe you need a, a miracle in your, in your marriage. We as a, a church, Big Valley Grace, we, we need a, a, a miracle next week and kind of a mini miracle, if you will, as we attempt to raise this $200,000 without goofing up just our regular giving. And I know a lot of you, no matter how many times you said, are gonna do that. They're just gonna shift your giving. We need a miracle. Some of you right now are facing some pretty bad odds over something. You're facing some crummy situation that, that seems hopeless to you. You feel like the world or life is somehow ganging up on you right now. And you're in desperate need of, 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 of a miracle. You can't have this many people in this room or over in the venue or watching online and not have some people who are going, man, God, I've read your word. You're a God of miracles. I've read about them over and over again and I need one. The Bible says that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, if everything's good in your life right now, or your family, or whatever, praise the Lord. But the chances are, are pretty good that somewhere down the road, you're, you're, you're going to need a miracle, probably. I mean, all of us face moments in our lives when, when things go really haywire, and, and we need God to show up in a, in a special way. So I, I, I thought I'd finish this series, get a grip with a special message on trusting God when you're in need of a, of, a, of a miracle. And I want us to look at one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament because it's a story we can all relate to. It's a story of how the, the people of Israel were facing some, some long odds. The world was uh, kind of ganging up on them and they, they needed a miracle. It's a story that we just heard read over here by Robin and um, over in the venue. Story's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And I want everybody just to look at verse one. The Bible says, after this, the armies of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Minuites declared war on Jehoshaphat. This is a bad situation. It's a really bad situation. This is big trouble. 
Three huge armies against little puny Israel. This isn't good. Israel's facing some long odds. These three nations want to wipe Israel off of the map. That's what they want to do. And they have the manpower to do it. They have the bows and the arrows and, and the spears and all of the, the military stuff you need to pull this off. They need God to step into their situation and do something amazing. In fact, if God doesn't, they're doomed. Sort of like how some of you feel right now, right? You're thinking to yourself, man, I need God to step into you know, my business right now. I need God to step into my family, my marriage right now. I need, I need God to step into the life of my teenager right now. I need God to step into the life of my dad right now. I need God to step into the life of my mom right now, man. And things are, are, are looking you know, gloomy. The cool thing about this story is, is that God does step in in an amazing way. A miracle happens. But before God does anything, the people did some things that I think mattered to God. In fact, I think they're the, the key to experiencing maybe a miracle in your own life or your family or whatever. And that's what I want to look at today. I, I want to look at what the people did in this story that somehow caused God to perk up his ears, if you will, caused God to step into this really crummy situation, okay? Um, and I want to start by, by asking you a, a question here. What's your natural reaction when things go haywire in your life? What's your natural reaction when things just kind of start ganging up against you? be a great question to ask your spouse if you're married on the way home. Because, see, you've lived with yourself your whole life, and you probably don't even know how you react to crummy situations. And you might ask your spouse on the way home, or you might ask your parents on the way home, or you may ask your son on the way home, or your kids on the way home, parents, hey, when, when life kind of presses in, when we get kidney punched by life, how do I tend to you know, react. L look at verse two. Messengers came and they told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Eden is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. The Bible says Jehoshaphat was terrified by the news. Some of your Bibles say he was afraid. Beloved, fear is, a, is the typical reaction when you face a, a crisis. When things kind of fall apart, when, when people gang up against you, when everything seems to be conspiring against you, your natural reaction is fear. And by the way, as a first reaction, fear is perfectly natural. It, it's, it's totally natural for Jehoshaphat to go, whoa, I'm afraid, yikes. In fact, if he wasn't afraid, that'd be weird. 
Oftentimes when you come and talk to me about these things that are piling up in your life and you tell me you're afraid, I, I go, hey, I can't fix normal, man. That's normal. If you weren't afraid, that would be weird. Jehoshaphat was terrified by the news. Who wouldn't be? Some of you are in a place in your life right now where you're terrified, and guess what? Man, if I heard all the, the details of what was going on, I'd say, wow, who wouldn't be terrified? Who wouldn't be afraid? Who wouldn't be experiencing some fear or, you know, whatever? The issue is, is what do you do with the fear after it comes? Do you get discouraged and give up? Is that what your natural reaction is? Do you get mad at God for allowing it to happen? That's what a lot of Christians do. The world's ganging up on them. Their business is going haywire. Their family's going haywire. I don't know what's going on. And they just get mad at God. Point the finger at God. You know, you know, God, I can't believe you're letting this happen to me. Are you intimidated by whatever your circumstances are? Or are you motivated by, by them? Beloved, the, the, the people in, in this story did a number of things. These were good things when they heard that these three armies were coming against them. Yes, they were afraid. Jehoshaphat was terrified. But he didn't allow his fear to paralyze him. He didn't allow the, the fear of these three enemy armies to, to somehow, you know, Make him get angry at God for allowing this to happen. And I want you to know you have three enemies that come against you every day. You're in a battle uh, against the world. You're in a battle against your flesh. And you're in a battle against the demons, the devil. Every single day, you battle those three things. Kind of like Jehoshaphat. He was in this battle against these three armies. And we as followers of Jesus, every day we wake up, we may not think about it, but we're in a battle. All three of these, you know, do their best to gang up on you or gang up on your family or gang up on what God's will is for your life. So, so let me give you a, a few good things that the Israelites did that caught God's attention. These are things you need to do when you're facing incredible odds. These are things you need to do when, you, when, when life's ganging up on you, when you need a miracle. N number one, the first thing you do when you need a miracle is you just run to God as fast as you can. Now, some preachers would give you some fancy words there. I'll just, just keep it real. Just run to God. Verse three says, Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and he begged the Lord for guidance. Beloved, whenever you're facing huge odds, whenever life gangs up on you, and when, when, when you need a miracle, the very first thing you need to do is run to God as fast as you can. No time wasted here with Jehoshaphat. He just got to God immediately. 
God, what's your perspective on this problem? How, how, how do you see it? What's your point of view? How do you look at the situation? You see, when something goes haywire in your business or your life or your family or your marriage or whatever it is, you just get to God and say, God, I'm terrified. But, but help me to see this from your point of view. How, how, how is it, you know, how do you see what's happening in my marriage right now? What do you see happening in my teenager's life right now? What's, what, what's your perspective on, on this, God? In Luke chapter one, an angel comes and, well, let me share with you three things that Jehoshaphat prayed. And they're really questions he, he, that, that he asked God. And these are the, the same three things you need to pray when, when you need a miracle. The first thing that Jehoshaphat asked God was this, God, are you not? Are you not? Verse six says, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who's in heaven? Are you not the God who rules over the kingdoms of the nations? Are you not the God with all the power and might in your hand and no one can withstand you? First thing you need to do when you're praying for a miracle is just remind yourself of who God is. Remind yourself of how powerful God is. Are you not the, you know, the God in heaven? Didn't you make everything? Don't you rule over everything? Because if you made everything, then you can certainly help in my situation right now. I love what Jehoshaphat does here. He just simply asks God, reminds himself, God, are you not the God who made it all? Aren't you God with all the power? Aren't you that God? I was gonna share with you what takes place in Luke chapter one when this angel comes and tells Mary that she's gonna give birth to the, to the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. And the Bible records this in Luke chapter one. Remember, Mary's just been told, you're gonna have a baby. You're gonna have the Messiah, the Savior. And Mary asks the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but now she's, but she's now in her sixth month. And then the angel simply says this, for nothing is impossible with God. You see, Mary asked a great question. She knew she had never had sex with anybody. You tend to know those kinds of things, right, right, ladies? And so this angel says, you're gonna have a baby, you're gonna have the Son of God, and so she asks a perfectly normal question. How? My parents gave me the birds and the bees talk? I know how this goes down. I've never had sex with anybody. How, how can it possibly be that I'm pregnant? And the angel simply reminds Mary of one of the great truths of Scripture. Mary, nothing 
is impossible with God. Nothing. And when you're in a situation where you need a miracle, and it might be in your business, it might be in your family, it might be in your marriage, it might be with your teenagers, it might be with your parents, I don't know what it is, I don't know what it is. And you're terrified, you're scared, that's normal, that's natural. Just run to God as fast as you can and remember that nothing is impossible with God. I've done this long enough here 30 years I've been here, I've seen God resurrect dead marriages. Some of you, your marriage was dead. Dead! If I let you come up here with the microphone, you talk about how God resurrected it. Some of you had teenagers that you thought were lost. And now they're married, serving the Lord, doing great things for God, right? Some of you had parents, and man, their, their, their marriage was a mess, and you heard them fighting and bickering, and you, you heard the, the big D word, divorce. And you ran to God as fast as you could, and you knew that nothing was impossible, and you prayed, and today your family's together. The second question, or prayer that Jehoshaphat asked is, God, did you not? <laughs> Verse 7, oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your, your friend? Beloved, when you're facing tough times, one of the ways to build your faith is to remember all the things that God has done in the past. Not only remind yourself that nothing's impossible with God, but just remind yourself of all the things he's done. Remember all the things he's done in your own personal past. One of the things we do really well as human beings is we forget, which is why the Bible is always telling us to remember. Remember, 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 because we forget. One of the great reasons why you ought to keep a journal is so you can remember some of the great things that God has done for you so that when some crummy thing comes into your life today or tomorrow, you can look back and go, oh yeah, I remember God's faithfulness back at this date. The third thing is that Jehoshaphat prayed was, God, will you not? In verse 12, he says, oh our Lord God, will you not judge them? First you remind yourself of who God is, then you remind yourself of what God's done in the past, and then you ask God to do it again. Won't you do it again? I know who you are. I know how powerful you are. I know what you've done. Now, now, now God, will you do it again? Can you do it again, God? Beloved, this is the way to pray for a miracle. Jehoshaphat talks with God and asks him these three questions. Are you not, did you not, and will you not? Look, the starting point when you've got a major problem in your life, when the world's ganging up on you or whatever, is you run to God as fast as you can and you talk with him. You pray with him. And number two, the second thing you do when you need a miracle is you humble yourself before God and you gotta admit that you need his help. Look at verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? 
for we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We don't know what to do. And for us men that are in this room, boy, that, that, that's something that rarely comes out of our mouths. We don't know what to do. In fact, I'll bet there are some guys in this room who never even said that in their whole life. I don't know what to do. <laughs> Jehoshaphat said, ah, we don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. Beloved, you'll never have a miracle in your life or your family or your business or whatever until you first realize you need a miracle in your life. As long as you're saying, hey, I can handle this marriage problem on my own. I don't need any help. I can handle this family problem on my own. I don't need any help. I can handle this financial crisis on my help, uh, 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 in, in, in my life. I don't need anybody's help. I can handle this, Christ, this health crisis on my own. I don't need anyone, anyone's help. I think God says, okay, go for it. Be my guest. I'll stay out of your way. You see, I think miracles tend to occur when people say, God, I flat out need a miracle. I don't have the power to do this. I don't have the wisdom to, to figure this out. I can't do it on my own. I'm lost, God. Will you help me, God? I think that gets the intention of the Lord. But if you go, hey, I don't want anybody's help. I don't need anybody's help. I'm always amazed. One of the things that just really blows my mind as a pastor of this church is when I meet somebody and you know, they, got a, they got a set of crutches. And I go, what's going on? I had double knee surgery. Did you tell anybody? No. What do you mean you didn't tell anybody? I didn't tell anyone. I'm okay. I don't care whether you're okay or not, but why didn't you handle it on their own, you know? Did it on their own. One of the things I, I love about this story is you get to see the humility of Jehoshaphat. And he was terrified, and rightly so. He runs to God as fast as he can. And you see this, this, this humility about his life. I don't, I don't know what to do. But my eyes are on you, Lord. When you compare verse 12, for we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us, with verse 6, power and might are in your hand and no, and no one can withstand you. Now you kind of get it. Now, now, now you kind of start figuring some things out when you look at those two verses and you compare them. And when you really comprehend this, when you really comprehend the fact that you don't have any power, but God has all the power, wow. It'll change the way you go through life. It'll keep you humbled before the Lord. So the first thing you do is, is you run to God and pray and, and then you just humble yourself before God and, and you admit that you need his help. Number three, 
The third thing that you do when you need a miracle is you got to gaze at God and glance at your problems. And I talk about this concept all the time. Verse 12, for we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We don't know what to do, but then he says this, but our eyes are on you. Our gaze is upon you. Beloved, here, here's what happens. When a problem hits your life or hits your family or whatever and you know, life is ganging up on you, you, you tend to gaze at your problem, don't you? See, one of the things that being afraid does when you're terrified of something, it, it's like a tractor beam. And that's right where your eyes and your focus and your brain goes, right? Right to the problem. You can't, you can't get your mind off of your marriage and how messed up it is. You can't get your mind off of your teenager and how messed up they are. You can't get your mind off of your parents and how messed up they are. You can't get your mind off of the lump that you know is in a place where there's not supposed to be a lump. That's where you tend to gaze. And when you spend your time gazing there, it just sucks the life out of you. It just makes things worse. That's why you, you, you gotta shift your gaze and shift it to the Lord, get your eyes upon the Lord. Now here's the deal, you have to glance at your problem. It would be really dumb for me to stand up here and say, well, you know, I know you got that mass that showed up on that x-ray. I don't want you to ever think about it. That would just be dumb. How could you not think about that? Hey, listen, I know your teenager's gone sideways. I don't even want you to think about them. Huh? You see, you gotta think about them. The issue is, is whether you're gonna gaze at the problem and every so often just glance at the Lord. You know, I mean, you're here. Or are you going to gaze at the Lord, keep my eyes upon the Lord, I'm going to run to God, I'm going to humble myself before God, and every so often I'm going to glance down here at the problem. I got, a, I got an appointment, you know, next, uh, next week with my doctor, and we're going to look at the film and figure out what we're going to do. But until next Tuesday, I, I can keep thinking about the problem or I can just gaze at the Lord. Keep my eyes there and every so often look down here. Okay, Tuesday's coming. Okay, Tuesday's coming. Okay, it's now Tuesday. It's coming. Corey Timboom said this. She said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. Amen. And the reason why is because there's just a lot of bad things that happen in the world. She said, if you look within, you'll be depressed. <laughs> And that's because you'll see all your faults and your failings and your shortcomings. But then she said, but if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. And I, there, there's truth to that. I think that's kind of what Jehoshaphat was doing. He, he knew he had a problem. He's got these three armies that are trying to wipe him out. But instead of just gazing at the problem, instead of just running around talking about the problem and thinking about the problem, what he does is he says, man, I'm just going to gaze at the Lord. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to be. And every so often I'll look down here and see what's going on. But, man, God, my eyes are on you. My eyes are on you. Let me tell you why some of you have such a hard time 
running to, to, to the Lord when things go haywire in your life or humbling yourself before him or gazing upon him. It's because you really don't understand just how powerful he is. You really don't. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, if God is for us, then no one can defeat us. And here's the deal. Some of you don't believe that. Oh, you read it, but you don't believe it. And how I know you don't believe it is because I watch how you act. You see, some of you actually think that there are forces out there that are more powerful than God. Listen, when you truly understand how great God is, you'll have no problem running to him when things go haywire in your life. You'll have no problem humbling yourself before him. You'll have no problem just gazing upon him. First Chronicles chapter 29 says, you are great and powerful, glorious, splendid, and majestic. Everything in heaven and on earth is yours, and you are king, supreme ruler over all. How many of you remember that old song that goes like this? He's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got you and me, brother. In his hands, he's got the little itty ditty little babies. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. I want you to know, it's one of the great theological songs ever written. Because it's true. It's true. Proverbs chapter 21 says, The Lord can control a king's mind as he controls a river. He can direct it as he pleases. Some of your Bibles say that God holds the hearts of kings in his hands. Whenever we used to go down to Mexico, when I took students down to Mexico, whenever we got to the border, that was always a, a critical moment because we'd have all these vans and trucks just full of stuff, and if the border guards decided to pull us over and search through everything, it was just going to be a mess. And so whenever we got to the border, we'd always start praying because we believed Proverbs 21. God controlled the, the hearts of kings, and so that means he controls the hearts of the border guards. And we'd start praying, oh God, just let, just, just let our vans go through, and, 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 and you know, just something would happen. And so as our vans would drive up, oh God, let something happen, and God would, and they'd go. <laughs> That's the way I envisioned it. And every time I'd see a, a border guard go like this, it was as if God was grabbing their heart, and they'd just go, you know, they didn't even know what they were doing, man. And our, all of our trucks would just go right through the border. See, because I, I, I believe what Proverbs 21 says. It's not just a verse, just to take up some room in the scriptures. I really believed it. The Bible says this in Colossians chapter 1, Christ, Jesus, is the visible image of the invisible God. He, Jesus, existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Tozer said this, God is absolutely free. No one can compel him. No one can hinder him. No one can stop him. God has the freedom to do as he all pleases always, everywhere and forever. Jehoshaphat says, for we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. He knew. He understood just how great and awesome and powerful God was. 
Now, verse 15 gives us God's response to this kind of prayer, and I want you to know it's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Verse 15 says, he said, quote, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. God says, it's my battle. As a follower of Jesus, you never go into a battle alone. As a follower of Jesus, there's not one problem you face alone. If you've got a marriage problem, I want you to know it's God's problem also. If you've got a financial problem, it's God's problem also. If you've got a teenager problem, it's God's problem also. If you've got parent problems, it's God's problem also. You got a health problem? Let me tell you something. You're not alone. It's God's problem also. We as a church family have a cash problem, you know? We need 200 grand next weekend over and above what we normally give. But it's not just our problem. It's God's problem also, you see? So when you're facing long odds, run to him as fast as you can. Humble yourself before him and simply gaze at him. Number four. The fourth thing you need to do when you need a miracle is you've got to ask other people for help. Go back to verse 3. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and he begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. <coughs> Look, when, when life's ganging up on you, get all the support you, know, support you can. In other words, don't face incredible odds all by yourself. Let other people into the equation. Get other people involved. Get your brothers and sisters involved. It's one of the beautiful things about the church. It's a place where you can come and say, you can walk into the altar room. We do it every weekend. Some of you never take advantage of it. But you can go into that altar room today and go, hey, I just want you to know, I'm facing a big, huge mountain. The, ga the world's ganging up on me. And I want to include you, the, the spiritual leaders of my church. I, I want to include the pastors, the elders. Uh, you write it on a card and say, hey, I'm, I'm facing something. Here's what's going down. Will you pray? As I said earlier, it's always just so disheartening to hear, you know, about some major thing that's going on in someone's life and you never told us. You, you think I got ESP, you know. I... I if you don't tell me or you don't tell a pastor or an elder what's happening in your life, guess what? How do we know? Part of how we can bear each other's burdens is simply by praying. Now, part of a burden you have to go through on your own. But part of how we can fulfill that great biblical mandate to bear one another's burdens is when you, you ask us to pray. You include us in on it. One of the first things Jehoshaphat did was he just got everybody involved. He said, man, we need a, a miracle. So we're gonna get the kids involved, we're gonna get the grandparents involved, we're gonna get husbands involved, we're gonna get wives involved, we're gonna get everybody involved. And the great apostle Paul knew how important it was to get others involved, you know, praying for him. He said this in 1 Thessalonians chapter five, he says, dear brothers and sisters, will you pray for us? 
Will you pray for us? And that's kind of what Jehoshaphat's doing. He's looking at, at, at these armies and he's saying, hey, listen, I know some of you can't fight. Some of you are old. Some of you can't pick up a spear. Some of you can't shoot a bow and arrow. Some of you are children. You can't do that, but here's what we're going to do. I'm going to get you to pray. I'm going to engage you in this thing. We're all going to be in this, this together. Look, God never meant for you to face all your problems on your own. That, that's one of the great blessings of a, of, a, of a church family. We're to build each other up, lift each other up, encourage each other, pray for each other, love each other, support each other. We're not lone rangers in this life. Number, number five. The fifth thing you, you do when you need a miracle is you believe that something great's gonna happen. You gotta believe. You gotta believe. Look at verse 20. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and he said, okay, he's got everybody with him. Okay, everybody, stop. Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you'll be able to stand firm. But he doesn't stop there. He says, I want you to believe in God. You believe. You believe. But then he says, I want you to also believe in his prophets and you will succeed. And in a modern day context, the prophets is simply the word of God. You believe in God's word. And if you believe in God's word, you'll be successful. In other words, when you believe in it, you're doing it, you're living it. It's just not, ooh, this is cool. I got a neat Bible. No, you believe in God, and you believe in his word. You believe it, you do it, you live it. You, you are, as our brother James would say, you're a doer of the word, not just a hearer. And the church is filled with hearers. Church is jammed up with hearers. Totally jammed up. Love to hear a good sermon. Man, we got sermons on our iPods, man. Sermons, we're in podcast. We love to hear sermons. The American church is just enthralled with sermons. Wish they'd just get up and go do something with what they believe in. There's a practic practical piece of our faith where we actually walk out of this building and we actually live out our faith. We engage our community. Jesus said we're salt and light in our community. God said this to the prophet Joshua. He said, always remember what is written in the book of the teachings. Study it day and night to be sure to obey everything that's written there. If you do this, you will be wise and successful in everything. Remember that I commanded you to be strong and brave. Don't be afraid because the Lord your God will be with you everywhere. Belief in God, belief in his word, actually living it out is absolutely critical. Absolutely critical. You gotta run to him, talk with him, you gotta humble yourself before him. You gotta get others involved. Get other people praying, just gaze upon him. But look, you gotta believe. Believe in God, believe in his word. And, and finally, the, the, the last step is this. 
The sixth thing you have to do when you need a miracle is you've got to thank God in advance for, for what he'll do. Beloved, just kind of picture this. Up on one mountain, you've got these three enemy nations. Imagine, there they are, all assembled, and they got their, their spears and their bows and arrows, and they're frothing at the mouth. They're just, you know, armies ready, ready to just, they, they, can, they can taste blood. They're ready to go down and just wipe out this, you know, puny group of Israelites. Up on the other mountain, you, you, you've got this little puny band of people. And they're going to go down into this valley and they're going to have this battle. And in verse 21, we see Jehoshaphat's plan. Here we go. You ready? Here it is. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Imagine this. Jehoshaphat's got his army there in front of him. Got all the people. He says, okay, see those guys up there? Yeah. Mean, mean people. Lots of bows and arrows. Lot, they're, they're, they're ready to wipe you out. Here's the battle plan. I'm going to put the, the choir up front. And I want you guys just to sing praises. Gen General Patton would have just gone nuts. You know, that, that wasn't one of Patton's principles right there. <laughs> What's going on here? Why, 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 did, why did Jehoshaphat do that? Beloved, it's a symbol. It's a symbol of saying that we believe in God. We believe in his word. We believe the victory is ours, and so we're going to thank the Lord in advance. We're going to praise the Lord in advance. It was really a, a statement of faith to put the choir out in front. There's power in praise when you start praising God in the midst of your situation, in the midst of your problem, thanking God that he's going to take care of it. I guarantee you something's going to happen. See, there's no faith, really, in thanking God after he blows your mind. The faith, the belief, is when you say, God, I'm going to thank you in advance. And that's what Jehoshaphat's doing. So how does the, the story end? Well, look at verse 22. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting amongst themselves. Now, I don't know if that's because the choir wasn't that good. You know, <laughs> whoa, that's bad. That's bad singing. They're, they're a little pitchy, and they started stabbing each other. I, I don't know exactly what, what happened. I, I really don't. All I know is, is that, you know, God did something unbelievable. It, it wasn't what Jehoshaphat thought was going to happen. I can guarantee you that. Never in Jehoshaphat's wildest dreams did he think that somehow, after he ran to God and talked with God and humbled himself before God and just gazed at God and asked God's people for help and believed in God and believed in his word, did he think it was going to end this way? That must have been quite a sight. As they're all standing there going, look at this, man, they're all killing each other. And here, here's what I will say to you. You, you. you put these three, these six things into practice in your life. You run to God. You humble yourself before God. 
You just gaze at God. You ask God's people for help. You believe in God. You believe in his word. And you thank God in advance. You just kind of follow what, what Jehoshaphat did. I guarantee you there'll be a victory. Now, listen. It may not be the victory you want. It may not end the way you want. You see, this ended in such a way that God got great glory. Jehoshaphat couldn't stand up and go, man, my military proudness is unbelievable, isn't it? No. It was just simply God got the glory. You put these into practice in your life when you're facing something, when life's ganging up on you, and when it's all said and done, it, it, it may not end the way you want it to end. It may not all go down the way you want it to go down, but it'll go down in a way where God gets the glory. And that's what's most important. Not that it ends your way, not that it happens your way, but that somehow God gets the glory when it's all said and done. I want you to stand. Over, over in the venue, I want you to stand. Close your eyes for, for just a moment. Father, thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. And this wasn't, you know, some story, some, some myth, some f fantasy story in Scripture. This is a real historical moment. This really happened. There really was a guy named Jehoshaphat. There really were three armies coming against him. And I'm very grateful, Lord, that you had somebody record this little moment in history. There's much that we can learn from it. And I pray right now for those that are in this room, over in the venue, maybe watching online, on the radio or whatever, and they're facing a really tough thing right now. Or they will face one in the future. I don't, I don't know, Lord. I just know that these things that we've kind of talked about today, I believe could be a huge blessing in a life. So would you somehow, through the power of your Holy Spirit, continue to teach us through this story, God? You're the great teacher. Thanks, Jesus, for your goodness to us. And I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. amen.